Family Systems would like to welcome you to a podcast titled HBZ2SFFG4. The world's most powerful and secure small form factor workstation. I will now turn it over to our moderator. Hello, everyone. My name is Joe Marinin, and I'm with my colleague, Jonathan Pallas from HP. We would like to cover what is a Z by HP PC workstation and how is it different from a traditional PC, specifically around reliability, performance, and security? So, what is a PC workstation? Let's go back in time to the early 1990s. During this time, workstations were very powerful desktop computers that were priced anywhere from $3,000 to $10,000, running a proprietary operating system like Unix or VMS. They were based on complex instruction set computing known as CIS processors. Don't know if you guys ever recall running a workstation on a Motorola 6840 or a reduced instruction set computing risk processor. At HP, we had our very own HP Precision Architecture RISC. RISC-based processors at that time were very fast. They were about three to five times faster than an Intel 486 CPU and offered superior graphics that was unmatched in the industry. Starting in 1997, Intel-based PC workstations were introduced, which offer similar performance in CPU and graphics, but at half the cost due to a lower manufacturing cost of the Intel CPU. In addition, it was more profitable for the software manufacturers to develop their applications to run on Windows because multiple PC vendor models would be able to run the software versus having to port the software onto multiple Unix platforms that were very proprietary. These new PC workstations were quite powerful in performance because they were designed with server features that included dual CPUs, ECC memory, multiple hard drives, and RAID support. By 2008, Unix risk-based workstations were discontinued in favor of PC workstations due to lower cost and greater software availability. Today, Z by HP PC workstations offer the highest CPU and video graphic performance in the industry. They can be configured with dual CPUs supporting 56 cores and four video graphic cards with powerful GPUs. They can be configured with up to three terabytes of system RAM, 43 terabytes of storage with the highest performance and reliability in the, in the industry. Best of all, an entry-level Z by HP workstation is priced similar to a desktop PC, which offers better performance and reliability. So again, thank you very much. Let me now turn it over to Jonathan, who can go into greater detail on the reliability and performance features of a Z by HP PC workstation versus a traditional desktop PC. Go ahead, Jonathan. Thanks, Joe. And so um, I'll go ahead and, and kick it off with our reliability section. Um, so to start off with reliability, uh, the standard advice until recently was to plan to buy a new desktop PC every three years, uh, but that's just not the case anymore. 
you can reasonably expect to keep a business workstation service for about five years. Uh, the big picture is that most desktop PCs, a core i3, i5, i7, i9 processor are sufficient for most people to run Win 10 uh, to do web browsing, email, and just your general office programs. However, one thing that has changed significantly is the amount of data that is being generated that needs to be analyzed for your business. For 2020, IDC is projecting that 45 zettabytes will be generated where about 80% of the data is stored on the edge computing device. With so much data being generated and analyzed, it no longer takes seconds or minutes to analyze this data, but now takes hours. And in some cases, you even need to run these analyses overnight um, in the office, which is why you need a PC workstation that offers you the highest reliability features to ensure that you don't experience application crashes or blue screen of death due to memory errors, hardware errors on the processor, or even IO errors with the device itself. So let's take a closer look into that. Um, so kind of kicking off um, this reliability story from, from the start here on the chipset. Um, so the most often overlooked component on a computing device is the chipset. In fact, the chipset might be the single most important component within the system. Uh, think of the chipset as a traffic controller for the CPU, the memory, storage drives, and even graphics controller. Systems with better chipsets, much like a sports car today, offers better cornering, um, uh, acceleration, and braking in a traditional car. Uh, these chipsets just provide overall general uh, boost to performance overall. Uh, so today, chipsets are going to fall into two different categories. Uh, that's your desktop class and server class. Although a server chipset is designed to perform the same types of tasks on a desktop chipset, it does offer uncompromised design, reliability, performance, and stability versus the typical desktop chipset. From a design perspective, the server chipset is exclusively designed to handle the most compute-intensive operations that may take hours to complete because it was designed for maximum uptime, 100% performance, 100% of the time, and 100% of the life cycle of the PC. Uh, from a reliability perspective, the server chipset does support ECC memory, uh, which is needed where data corruption cannot be tolerated for scientific and financial computing. In addition, um, a server chipset can arrange your internal disk storage in various RAID configurations for max I.O. performance and data redundancy. From a performance perspective, a server chipset offers more memory, uh, more memory channels, and more I.O. options thus giving you the ability to extend the life of your PC by having the ability to upgrade or add more components to keep up with the computing performance needed uh, versus your traditional desktop PC. Lastly, it's about stability. A server chipset is specifically designed not to be overclocked with an emphasis on longer product lifecycle to ensure the highest level of stability. Um, it's, it's for these reasons why we selected server chipset on our Z2 platforms. Um, specifically in this case, our small form factor. And uh, when selecting a PC, the chipset should be carefully considered because it is the frame, suspension, steering, wheels and tires, you know, it's just the overall, um, back to that comparison against like a sports car, it's just the overall uh, performance that helps build up uh, your, your PC. So um, on that same note, we're talking about the importance of having ECC memory uh, where data corruption can't be tolerated for you know, these specific scientific and financial tasks. 
Um, today, there are many root causes of memory corruption, especially with PCs running a 64-bit operating system that can take advantage of having more memory to run office programs, multimedia, editing packages, graphic-intensive games. Um, all of these, you know, can just put a um, heavy, heavy workload on your on your memory. Um, so, for example, your memory fails in, in DRAM over time may experience a failure to retain its stored charge, uh, which should cause a bit flip. That causes a change in a program instruction or data value, which can lead to a blue screen of death or an application crash. Um, in addition, radiation of any kind can influence these DRAM cells as well. Um, even just natural ambient radiation we have on Earth is able to flip a bit in DRAM. Uh, antennas, for example, on, on your cell phones also can have an impact here. And um, heat is also a big issue for, mem for memory components. Uh, known as retention failure, higher temperatures can cause an increased leakage at some point. And um, the first one or two memory cells lose their data before they're able to get refreshed by the CPU. With ECC memory, it can detect and correct most kinds of these uh, common errors that, that we've been discussing here. Uh, so ECC memory should be considered with every PC purchase to minimize application crashes and blue screen of death to uh, common memory errors that caused by heat, radiation, and the environment. So uh, moving on now to um, ISV certifications. So uh, with today's demanding deadlines, driving the need for efficiency and productivity, uh, it isn't enough just to know that your software applications are run on your PC. You need to have a, uh, a hardware solution that has been tested, proven, and certified to deliver peak performance and reliability for your key applications. It's about making sure that any new program, software updates, or driver updates, BIOS updates, um, any number of all these updates that we're constantly having to do uh, will work flawlessly together at, at any moment without any user interruption or loss in productivity. Um, you know, everybody's gone through that update that's caused your system um, to crash because it's just not working with other updates you've had. Um, so by having this, these ISV certifications always updated in line and in sync with everything, um, that diminishes um, or that reduces the chance of diminishing your productivity. Um, and, you know, that could also increase your anxiety whenever these are all going through. Um, so with the ISV certifications, uh, your Z by HP workstation undergoes in-depth system testing and performance measurement. Um, certified configurations with the driver certifications are made available and published. Um, and if there is ever any errors um, that you're experiencing on this, uh, HP is there to resolve the compatibility issues with the software manufacturer. So for, uh, for Z by HP, it's not enough that you simply have peace of mind, but that you work with confidence knowing that your hardware solution is tested, proven, and certified. Uh, moving on to endurance now. So um, another nice feature with Z by HP workstations is that you can configure the system with either enterprise hard drives or with our um, HP Z Turbo drives for higher reliability, higher performance, and larger capacities. Uh, the hard drive and our solid state drives used today in desktop PCs have a lower cost and have a lower set amount for data written. In addition, they have a higher random failure rate that increases dramatically as the workload increases. Um, the traditional PC hard drives and solid state drives um, are fine to use when data workload is small, when RAID isn't used, and when the PC is not needed for 24-7, 365, 
um, operation cycles. However, if your data workload increases due to more read and writes to the storage device, um, or you're considering implementing RAID, uh, you need the highest reliability and the longest lifespan, uh, we do offer, as I mentioned, selection of uh, enterprise hard drives and our HPZ turbo drives. Uh, our enterprise hard drives offer 10 times the lifespan of a traditional desktop PC um, hard drive, and our Z turbo drives offer four times the lifespan of a traditional PC solid state drive. So uh, which drive do you need? If a normal office worker writes anywhere from 10 to 40 gigabytes a day, it means that traditional PC hard drive that supports an endurance rating of about 55 terabytes uh, will have a lifespan of about 3.9 years. Whereas um, an enterprise hard drive will have a lifespan of 39 years. So you can just see that massive difference in the read and write um, uh, endurance there. The good news is that you do have a choice with HP. Uh, whether you need a traditional hard drive or solid state drive or the enterprise hard drive or a Z turbo drive, uh, solid state drive, um, they are available when purchasing your Z by HP PC workstation. So uh, moving on now with our reliability story here, um, for workstation users, uh, system reliability is essential. That is why we design our Z by HP PC workstations to meet the challenge, uh, to meet the challenges of the most demanding workloads and duty cycles. With over three decades of workstation engineering innovation, HP has created a level of reliability that is widely recognized in the industry, uh, starting with the following. Every new platform we introduce undergoes over 360,000 hours of testing. Our competitors typically do not publicly share this level of information. Um, and when they do, they typically state hundreds of engineers hours versus HP's thousands. Um, we also conduct, conduct tests that are only performed by HP, such as functional system integration testing, three axis testing, thermal testing, materials analysis, um, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. Um, we go above and beyond the industry tests to ensure that our systems offer the highest levels of performance and speed, but are also recognized by Energy Star and EP as being the leader in sustainable per personal computing. Because a typical business day is anything but ordinary, we go above and beyond to ensure you can rely on your Z by HP PC workstation uh, to keep you not only productive, but up and running for many years to come. Uh, so now that I uh, covered uh, the reliability section, let's move on to performance. Uh, so fighter pilots have a saying, speed is life. The CPU was originally uh, considered to be the primary component for judging performance on PCs. However, CPUs have evolved and other technologies have come into play such as TDP, GPUs, memory, IO, and storage that now play a big part in the overall system performance. So uh, let's take a look closer, um, let's take a closer look by focusing on these critical elements that contribute to the overall workstation performance. So uh, kicking off performance, as I mentioned, um, with uh, CPUs. So uh, today, CPUs have evolved with features such as multiple cores, the cache size, um, and TDP that directly contributes to compute performance. The general rule, um, you know, higher clock speeds, more cores, higher TDP, or um, in other words, thermal design power uh, and the larger cache size will lead to faster CPU performance. Choosing the right CPU requires that you make choices based on these attributes, which is why we offer the most comprehensive lineup of Core i processors and Xeon E-Series processors. 
Um, customers who are looking for the best price per performance um, will choose Core i processor. Um, so that's going to be coming in your uh, typical, you know, your i3, i5, i7, and i9. Um, so Core i3, so just to kind of go through a bit of each of these, um, Core i3 processors uh, support a very high clock speed with four cores, uh, but without turbo boost and hyper-threading technology. So this is going to be typically good for, um, you know, just your Microsoft Office applications. Uh, the i5 processors support a moderate clock rate with uh, six cores, so you're getting a bit more cores here. Um, then this does include hyper-threading and turbo boost. So these uh, CPUs can handle everything that Windows can throw and is optimal for gaming and productivity. Uh, when you move up to the uh, i7, so the i7 processor does support eight cores with hyper-threading and turbo boost as well. Um, it is available in our 95 watt TDP versions of kind of the, what we call the K SKUs um, for even better performance. This CPU is perfect for CPU hungry applications such as photo and video, video editing, uh, 3D modeling and scientific simulation. And then lastly on the core I side um, is our i9 processors that support eight cores uh, with hyper threading, turbo boost, and has a higher clock speed than the i7. Uh, this is also similar to the i7. This is also available in our 95-watt uh, TDP uh, for even greater CPU performance for those CPU-hungry applications. And then um, here at the bottom, last but not least, we do have uh, Xeon CPUs. Uh, not only does Xeon perform well in single and multi-thread applications, um, it's the ideal CPU for artists, animators, analysts, and engineers um, that require highly reliable computation to ensure that there's no memory errors due to bit flip um, that I was mentioning before, and that the CPU operations are performed accurately, uh, thus minimizing any blue screens of death or application crashes um, or any uh, system reboots. So uh, the Intel Xeon is Intel's highest performing uh, CPU because it's offered with the most cores, the largest cache sizes, um, and it was specifically designed to be running 24-7, 365 uh, days of the year. Uh, so a couple of interesting points that I'd like to share. Um, from a performance perspective, the UMA graphics uh, with Xeon is uh, up to 7% faster than the UMA on core processors. So if you don't have a discrete card there, you are going to see better um, integrated uh, graphics performance on Xeon processors. Um, also, Xeon processors are about 4 to 9% faster in single-threaded performance than an i9 processor, um, and I'll show a benchmark on the next slide coming up. Um, but besides performance, the big difference between Xeon and core processors is reliability. Uh, early in the presentation, I was talking about the benefits of having ECC memory. Um, so this memory is only supported on Xeon processors, and you cannot use it on, our, uh, on Intel's core processors. However, one other unique feature that most people are not aware of is that the Xeon processors support Intel RAS technology or RAS um, technology, with, which offers free, um, which offers error-free uh, computing, especially for heavy loads for long periods of time. Intel RAS, uh, which stands for Reliability, Availability, and Serviceability, is a new feature set that helps the system to recover from bad data consumption um, and has capabilities in detecting bad instruction and to recover through error detection. In other words, the Xeon processor, uh, Xeon processors have the ability to check that all CPU operations performed at 100% accuracy. 
Systems with Xeon processors will achieve um, higher system reliability, as I mentioned again, by preventing uh, these blue screens of death or application crashes. And um, they are the ideal CPU for PCs that need maximum uptime. Um, so in the past, uh, PC workstations were too costly for most users because they're only available with high-end processors and graphics. Uh, with Moore's Law, CPU performance is on the rise, uh, blurring the lines between what constitutes a dedicated PC workstation or a power user's PC, uh, which is why our uh, Z by HP PC uh, Z by HP PC workstation um, offers the full stack of both Core i and Xeon processors for every type of user. Um, after all, the best com uh, best computing device should be based on desired level of performance and cost. So you can kind of see from this chart, we do offer, um, like I said, pretty much the entire line of uh, the Coffee Lake Refresh and uh, Xeon E series on our Z2 products. So. Um, going to kind of move over to uh, to graphics now. So uh, when, when talking about graphics, assume that the target customers um, are gamers, designers, engineers, and scientists. However, um, having, a, having a powerful graphics card can also benefit business users to load web pages, stream videos, um, and to increase overall system performance. So web browsers such as Firefox, Google Chrome, and Edge can all tap into a dedicated graphics card to improve rendering times. Uh, even Windows itself benefits with certain elements to the user interface, um, including transparency effects and animations becoming smoother and faster. Z by HP Workstations offers more graphics choices, greater performance, and reliability than a typical PC. So let's take a closer look at that. Um, systems configured with Xeon, as I mentioned earlier, uh, while this isn't a discrete card, it is the integrated UMA card, they do see a 3 to 7% improvement on that um, UMA performance. Um, Z by HP PC workstations uh, only offer graphics cards that are ISV certified for industry leading uh, reliability, performance, and stability. And um, today, the HP small form factor, uh, Z2 small form factor, has been certified with uh, 59 ISV um, applications that are used at all its top companies, the you know, Fortune 50, Fortune 500 companies, all those softwares they typically use, um, small form factor is going to be certified with them. Um, and also with these graphics cards, you can do um, 5K video support as well. Looking at uh, some of the benchmarks here, you can kind of see the, the graphics that we offer on our small form factor. Um, so here's most of them that we have listed out here. Um, so we just kind of wanted to show the graphics performance of a Z by HP PC workstation compared to your typical uh, desktop PC. Most of us have faced a situation where our computer crashes and we get that blue screen um, appears just completely out of nowhere. Our PC restarts spontaneously and we begin to panic because it usually occurs when our data is not saved and most likely cannot be recovered. Uh, most blue screens of death occur due to a system update, faulty hardware driver, um, CPU uh, with the local machine check and memory errors, which leads to data loss and user downtime. To increase system uptime and to prevent the untimely blue screen from occurring, uh, HP offers HP Performance Advisor uh, software utility with every Z by HP workstation sold. This, this powerful software utility is designed for uh, non-techies that make sure your Z by HP workstation is always operating at its optimal potential. Here's how it works. So uh, HP Performance Advisor uses a Windows-based interface that focuses on three key areas, 
uh, for easy navigation of specific performance issues. The first one is um, it configures your computer and quickly gains a thorough and accurate understanding of your system's resources and settings. Um, so it'll help you track all your drivers and different updates that are going on with your system. Um, it tunes your software using tips and advice collected by HP's team of application engineers uh, who work with our software partners every day to help you get the best performance and reliability with your applications. Um, and then lastly, it monitors your performance as it is in the name. Um, and so it monitors performance, displays how your system handles your workload and anticipates any um, changes uh, that you need to make to your PC uh, as your workload evolves. Uh, using HP Performance Advisor, make sure that your system's not only stable by selecting the best possible driver for each application, but also that your system is running at peak performance. And now I will be handing it back over to Joe to cover security. So thanks, Jonathan. So now what I would like to do is cover the security portion. And right, we've all heard the horror stories about PCs being stolen and data being breached which is why every PC purchase decision you make is also a security, a security decision. So let's take a quick look at today's security landscape. Did you know that at the end of 2019, 16 million new viruses were introduced? Today, 350,000 new malware strains are introduced daily. Every 10 seconds, consumers get hit with ransomware with an average payout of $500. Every 40 seconds, businesses get hit with ransomware with a payout of $17,000 to $150,000. Important questions that everyone needs to ask. Based on these attacks, how do you protect against malware if you've never seen them before? How do you know when your PC or your PC fleet is under attack? How long would it take to recover your PC or your PC fleet? Again, these are important questions that need to be answered because it's no longer a matter of if, but when. Besides being destructive, the ultimate goal for a virus and malware is to have everlasting life. To achieve everlasting life, it must go undetected. What better way to go undetected is by embedding itself into the BIOS or firmware of the system. By doing so, it cannot be detected by today's virus and malware software. Today's virus and malware software can only scan the memory and the portions of the storage device, but not at the firmware. The second goal of everlasting life is for the virus or malware to be executed on a regular basis. Again, by embedding itself inside the firmware of the BIOS, the virus or malware will be executed every time a user turns on their PC because the first 1 million line of code is executed in the BIOS. The last goal is to reproduce and spread to other PCs throughout the network, which ensures everlasting life and survival. I get a lot of questions from customers asking, has there ever been a real world firmware attack on a PC? And I respond by saying, yeah, as of October, 2018, a rootkit called Lojack 
which embedded itself inside the BIOS of the system, where it got extensive control of the PC and transmitted confidential data back to a Russian organization called Fancy Bear. Not only was this rootkit difficult to detect, but it was also very hard to remove. It is for these types of attacks that HP has invented a technology called HP Sure Start, which protects the BIOS by identifying the attack, isolate quarantine the attack, and self-heal from the attack. No other vendor offers this type of technology or protection. We also discovered that viruses and malware are very tricky. So tricky, in fact, that they can turn off your Windows security settings, such as your firewall settings and your antivirus settings, without you even knowing it. HP SureRun can identify you when viruses and malware turn off your Windows security settings, and then in real time, automatically restore your settings so your PC is protected. No other vendor offers this capability. But let me talk about another feature, and that feature is called HP Sure Recover. Today's antivirus software is very effective. They are able to quarantine about 97% of the viruses today. The remaining 3% cannot be quarantined and they cannot be removed, which typically requires a new system image to be loaded. For the typical user, this can take up to four hours to get the system up and running since they will need to call their help desk or take the system to an IT cafe. With HP Sure Recover, all the user needs to hit is the F10 and initiate an OS recovery. Within 20 minutes, the system will upload a new image from the HP cloud or from an assigned internal server without any help needed from IT. This solution can save businesses hundreds to thousands of dollars because employees are up and running in no time. Another feature that I'd like to talk to you about is HP SureClick. 50% of employees admit that they have clicked on an email link from an unknown sender in the last six months that turned out to be malware or a scam. HP SureClick prevents malware from entering your system with a virtualized web browser that prevents any malware from accessing the hardware, the operating system, or the application layers. If malware is encountered, just close your browser section and the attack is removed. So one more security feature that I'd like to talk to you about is um, HP SureSense. It's a brand new software product we introduced late last year. It is an AI-based deep learning anti-malware software that can detect never before seen zero-day malware attacks. HP SureSense can detect 99% of both known and unknown malware as little as 20 milliseconds. The best part of this solution is that it doesn't require you to update the software on a regular basis in order to keep the virus definitions updated. Instead, it recognizes malware instinctively, more like the way a human mind does. The protection offered is with every Z by HP Workstation. So we quickly show the value and benefit of having an AI-based anti-malware software the value here is that it learns, it learns instinctively, and the major difference is that if a brand new malware 
was introduced, let's just say two hours ago, it will be able to detect, unlike your current malware software, which requires an updated definition to identify and, and detect. So this is a much better and secure way. Um, what I'm trying to do is show a high-level comparison between HP security versus other PC vendors. The big difference between HP and others is that we offer built-in technology that protects the PC computing device from viruses and malware by identifying the attack, quarantine the attack, and self-heal from the attack. Our competitors cannot heal from the attack. Um, other vendors, we feel, offer what we call bolted-on security technologies, such as TPMs, self-encrypting drives, smart cards, fingerprint readers that only protect the data and the identity of the user. Again, they don't really protect the device. Only Z by HP workstations offer security technologies that protects the device from malware and viruses, protects your data with encryption, and protects your identity with three factors of authentication. One of HP's best kept secret is that we provide free of charge, a software solution that allows any device, regardless of computing power, that runs on Mac OS, Windows, or Linux to remotely log on to an HP workstation to work in real time. The major difference between this solution and other similar solutions is that HPZ Central Remote Boost uses a high-performance 3D remote desktop connection protocol that delivers an exceptional remote desktop user experience for environments that include video, web flash animations, and graphic-intensive applications. Other remote solutions do not offer this level of video compression to support the high frame, rate, frame rates. So with any client PC device, users can access their most demanding graphic intensive projects from anywhere. Another benefit is security. Because only the pixels are being transferred to the receiver device, your data remains locked down and never leaves the workstation or building that the workstation is located in. It is the perfect solution to allow you to work remotely from anywhere. You don't need additional infrastructure costs to start working and collaborate remotely. Z Central Remote Boost is included on all Z by HP PC workstations for free. A high level comparison between Z by HP workstation versus our competitors. In summary, the HP Z2 small form factor offers greater performance with 95 watt Xeon and Core i processors. It can also be configured with more memory at 128 gigabytes of memory versus 64 gigabytes and can support up to 15 terabytes of storage versus our competitors' seven terabytes. In addition, we offer up to two extra PCI slots with, a, with an additional M.2 slot. Moments ago, I also highlighted our security differentiation. When purchasing a computing device, it should not be about just speeds and fees. Instead, it should be about offering the device that offers our customers the highest return on investment and lowest total cost of ownership. At HP, we do not view a Z by HP workstation as a commodity, but instead we view it as a business asset to solve your business problems.
So for more information, or if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to send an email to either Jonathan or myself, Joe Marinin. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. That concludes the podcast titled HBZ2SFF G4, the world's most powerful and secure small form factor workstation. Brought to you by Stanley Systems. Stanway Systems would like to welcome you to a podcast titled, How HP is Adapting to the New Normal. I will now turn it over to our moderator. Now, it is my pleasure to introduce our executive host, Jean Kozib, who is the Vice President and General Manager of HP's U.S. Personal Systems and Services. Jean, the time is now yours. Thank you, Abby, and good morning, good afternoon to all of you joining us today. On behalf of everyone at HP, I'd like to thank you for joining our virtual meeting. Uh, like most of you, virtual has become the new normal at HP, and we've had to work really hard to traverse this new landscape and to work effectively. So today, it's my pleasure to introduce you to two of HP's leaders who are eager to talk about how HP is adapting to the new normal. We're going to spend some time talking about how HP has approached keeping employees engaged, enabling our remote workforce, and accelerating our digital transformation. Our discussion leaders are going to start off with a few slides, and then we're going to open up the Q&A, giving you the opportunity to ask our leaders some questions. Now, in the meantime, I'd like to introduce you to our discussion leaders. Tracy Kehoe, who is our Chief Human Resources Officer, and Linda Jarrett, who is our Head of Employee Experience and Services. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Tracy. Great, thank you so much. And uh, uh, I'm, it's exactly what I'm gonna talk about is how to keep employees engaged. And so, um, you know, just starting off, I think one of the most important things we did uh, was just focus on communication for our employees and how to stay connected. And uh, I wanted to share a few of the best practices that we find from a communication standpoint in the time of a global crisis, and then we can talk about some of the specific things we did. First of all, we actually make communications a critical member of the crisis management team that we put together, and we assembled uh, a team uh, globally initially that then worked with all our local offices to make determinations, and our communications person was uh, a very important member of that team. And then understanding that when you're communicating, you actually are making business decisions. You know, we always kind of joke about FAQs, those frequently asked questions. Each of those FAQs are actually deciding a business issue for someone. And so it's important to think through. It's not enough to send the email out if it leads to a lot of questions afterwards. So think through what that email is going to generate and then make sure you're answering those questions for people. Obviously, making sure you're doing timely and accurate communication to your key audiences. And I think the biggest thing that we learned through this pandemic is how important transparency is. Sometimes it's important to communicate even if you don't have the answer, just to say it's not clear when we're going to reopen the office or what it's going to look like, but we'll let you know as soon as possible. And one of the things that we did at HP, we actually kind of took turns, my CEO and myself as head of HR, each week we do a communication to people. Uh, and then individual leaders would communicate directly with their staffs as well. 
You know, we always say put the employee at the center of everything and consider what they need. So we sit around thinking, what are the employees going to be thinking and saying and needing as we're drafting our communication? Uh, adapt your regular channels to fit the current situation. So if you have, you know, a daily portal, maybe people don't have access to that during, you know, the pandemic. When we sent everybody home within two days, you know, we there wasn't enough VPN capacity that people could log on to our what we call the Daily Inc., our daily newspaper. And so we created a site where we put all the answers to things for people. So make sure you're looking at, um, you know, it's not enough just to passively communicate, but actively sending out information to people and making sure it's in a way that they can digest it. And then make sure you're listening to employees. So it's that interaction. It's not just, you know, you know you're transmitting information. You have to be receiving information so that you can be moderating things um, and, and making sure that it's addressing the questions that they have. I think you have to also really toggle between the global and local. As you all know, during this pandemic, depending on where you were in the country or even for us around the world, the current situation was very different. You know, if you were in New York versus if you're in Idaho, those situations look different. So if you're spending out communication that isn't tailored enough locally, you're going to be sort of uh, off uh, in, in communicating with people and it won't be as effective. And then making sure that you're setting up your leaders and managers to be successful so that, so that if their people are turning to them and asking them questions, you've already prepared information for them, be it FAQs. We have a, a, a portal that we call Manager Central where we put everything that managers need to have to communicate. So set them up for success in communicating with their people. So right now you're looking at a slide that actually talks about what we quickly realized, and you heard this a lot during the pandemic, is people need structure. And so we created very structured um, activities and engagement for our people. And we actually just named each day. We called them Motivational Mondays, Wellness Wednesdays, Training Tuesdays, Thoughtful Thursdays, which is we do a lot of volunteerism. So we wanted to make sure that we were doing virtual volunteerism during this time frame. And then Family and Fun Fridays. And then we actually, I call it programming, then we filled each of these days on an ongoing weekly basis with things. And every Monday morning, first thing I send out, we called it HP Spirit. I sent out the HP Spirit um, email that has all the activities of the week in it for people. And, you know, really a mix of dealing with high stress of the current situation. We had lots of stress management and financial management seminars to, you know, kind of fun having a global um, dance party for HP with a live DJ that started in Asia and then went to EMEA and then to the U.S. That kind of release is actually a real positive in these times. So you want to do some serious things, but also some things that raise people up. And I would say, too, um, none of this costs much money. You know, I know we are we all operate on a shoestring during these days, and you know, I think one of the most impactful things we did I realized early on homeschooling was going to be a super challenge for our people, and so we got a panel together of four teachers. You know, and and I uh, facilitated the panel, and we had hundreds of people call in, and from that we had uh, homework clubs formed to help people with their children and uh, doing work. You know, we are lucky to have a, a, a staff doctor 
our medical director, and every Wednesday we have doctor hours, and hundreds of people would be on those calls asking questions. Um, and so we set up, you know, every Wednesday we had doctor hours globally, and and then we live through the movie. So you can be incredibly creative, and it doesn't have to cost money to do these things. Um, and access, there's lots of things externally. We had people who just volunteered to do yoga classes for people, and all of these things really helped with the connectivity um, of our people and the engagement in the organization. Um, this is just a little bit about the number of people who engaged on a lot of these um, activities. And we kind of trained people over time to look at the HP Spirit calendars and and to um, connect. And we made them available so there were replays. If you missed it, you could go back. And then we did ongoing communication and what we call quick-click surveys to see if we were hitting the point with people and that um, I've probably never seen so many emails from employees just thanking us for supporting themselves and their family. The other piece is because everyone's at home. You have to think about the whole family now. And so we're much more engaged in people's lives. And so we would invite the whole family to some of these activities so that they could listen and learn about them as well. And that was very well appreciated. But even in this very difficult time with a lot of uncertainty, we saw our numbers increasing um, dramatically for people in terms of their positive feeling about leadership. Um, this slide's got a little bit out of kilter, but actually we saw, I have confidence in HP's leadership uh, to drive the company strategy, went up 16 points during this time from December to, um, you know, our current time frame in May when we took this. And then, you know, we saw engagement increase on taking everything into account. HP is a great place to work. And these are some of the metrics we look at on an ongoing basis. And then, um, you know, am I getting enough information uh, on how we're responding? 93% of employees were positive. So those are super high numbers. Um, and, you know, on an ongoing basis, I pivoted some of my HR team to focus on these um, different areas so that we could continue to generate ideas around engagement, um, and which I think, you know, it doesn't, as I said, it doesn't take money. It just takes creativity and a, and a Zoom call to be able to do many of these things. And uh, I know Shiraz is going to talk to you later, but, you know, within a matter of days, we went from 3,000 Zoom calls a day to 35,000. So um, it's, you know, amazing pivot of the entire organization with almost everyone going home. The one other thing I wanted to share was just one innovative program that I thought, you know, uh, would be helpful. So as we moved, obviously, into the um, current situation, many companies canceled their summer internships um, for people. We continued to have ours. We pivoted to make them virtual. But we had so many students still reaching out to us. We only took about 200 this year in the U.S. And so we decided to put this program together called the HP Summer Scholars. And it's an unpaid um, internship that we designed in a matter of weeks, a six-week program that really was an overview of our business. And I would say, you know, particularly for, you know, folks in the federal area, this would be a great time to attract talent. This, the kids that are currently graduating or have availability for internships have one of the most difficult environments to come out to get new opportunities. And we took almost 2,000 students in this unpaid activity. We've never had that many interns at any time. And um, it didn't really cost any money to put this together. It just cost the time of our leaders inside. We have every leader from every one of our businesses super excited to participate. 
And we created this program where um, four days a week from 9 to 12, they get coursework, and then we're doing focus groups and different kind of labs and um, hackathons and different challenges in the afternoon for people that are available to do this. And um, it's been an incredible impact to have, you know, students from across the country participate in this, learn about the business, get excited about HP, and be able to sort of get our message out. You know, we're focusing on our computer side and gaming, uh, a week on 3D uh, manufacturing and graphics, then software, data analytics, print, and supply chain, and then sales and marketing. And, you know, people are so thankful to have the opportunity, and we reached out. The schools were so thankful to be able to give uh, some internship experience to the students that there was a lot of receptivity. And some schools even saying they would help partner with us to create them. So I wanted to share that as a potential opportunity. Thank you, Tracy. Let's open it up for the Q&A. We've seen high participation rates in the uh, spirit calendar activities. Uh, when you think of these, which of these do you believe will remain staples when we get back to whatever the new normal is in the future, not today? And then maybe personally, I've got a question for you. Okay. I'm really excited about mastering the menu, uh, which is taking place this Friday. So maybe we could spend a little bit of time sharing right. that with our audience. Okay, a couple of things. So, um, you know, I think the level of connectivity that we've had with employees, uh, I don't know how we would go back away from that in the future. So it may not be exactly the HP Spirit calendar, but I think this integration of work and home, uh, it, you know, and authenticity around it is here to stay and for the better. So we will definitely be looking at how do we engage in those ways. You know, for your question, you know, we're doing at-home cooking and, you know, all these different elements that actually make people feel so excited about the organization. And so we will, we will be continuing those in the future. Um, and, you know, uh, there's a number of questions here about equipment that we provide to employees and, you know, work from home kits. Um, so we actually, as a company, this is in our sweet spot because, um, you know, it's been great to see. We put bundles together. You should look at what we have available. Um, but, um, you know, suddenly we're happy to say printers became very important to have a printer at home. You need that when you're working. And one of the things we did as a company because we provide the, that equipment to people already, the things people were actually looking for were chairs and monitors. So we did allow people to um, do a purchase of a chair, and so we funded that, and making sure that people have monitors and, at home. And then we also provide a lot of other accessories that they can buy and usually day to day. But I have to say, I would advocate for giving them as much HP equipment as you can. It'll help them be more productive at home. Fantastic, fantastic. Another question with regards to employees working from home. How has that changed our thinking or, or how have we um, modified our communication with our employees if we have? Yeah, so I think communication, um, you know, I talked a little bit about some of the best practices around communication, but I think it will change moving forward for most companies. So I can use one example. One of the things that we had um, you know, we used to do as a, a leadership team is what I would call barnstorming tours. You know, the CEO would get on the plane and we travel to Germany or Taiwan or wherever it is on an ongoing basis. We'd spend a day in the office, we'd have an all employee meeting, and then we'd go on to the next site. You know, in most of those all employee meetings, um, uh, we ended up, uh, you know, 
not being able to fit the whole office in the room. And, you know, some people would feel happy they got to attend, others not so much. But in the new environment, we did an equivalent series of meetings. We called them Connect with Enrique, who's our new CEO. And they were all on Zoom. And the whole leadership team could attend. And the whole office could attend. And those were super successful. And so I would say things like that where um, you're able to um, provide that level of connectivity and connection on a much uh, more frequent and less expensive, both personal you know, financial, but also personal expense of dragging people around, I think we'll do much more of that. We've seen collaborating. Um, it's very different now. I know for most of you probably have the same experience. We went from about 3,000 Zoom calls a day to 35,000 within like a week. And, you know, in the old days, you would have a meeting and some people would call in and it was like they were watching other people have a conversation in the room. That wasn't a very satisfying work experience. Now, when we have a Zoom meeting, everybody's engaged. Everybody's looking at each other. So I think you'll see more of that in the future. So it really will change how we communicate to people. I couldn't agree with you more. Very quickly, we went from having some of our employees on video calls to having all of them on video calls, which is actually very engaging, as you said. Yeah. So Tracy, one more question, unless uh, anyone else has any, they're, they're going to type into the uh, Q&A. Uh, what's been the most difficult hurdle that the HR teams had to overcome to support our employees working remotely? Yeah, so I think it's always resources, you know, I have to say, because, you know, a lot of the burden, I mean, it, it's a positive as well, fell on HR. I feel like this has really been HR's time to shine. We're doing everything from contact tracing, we trained all our people on, you know, contact tracing to, um, you know, every aspect of the spirit calendar I talked about. Um, you know, there's obviously it's been very stressful on employees and organizations, making sure that they're um, getting the support that they need. Um, and then additionally, with all the, um, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter movement that we've seen, that was another big stress for employees to be able to look at the racial um, inequality issues and have us deal with it. So I just think there's been a lot of work all at the same time um, for the HR teams. But I, I think that really the number one thing which we're all dealing with is the uncertainty. You know, we everybody's like, when are we going to get back to work? And now we're seeing an uptick in the U.S. That's going to make it very unclear when you know, people are, are going to be able to work again. And so being able to navigate this marathon and it's not a sprint and how that's going to impact our business, making sure we're as productive as possible, we're supporting our customers in the way that they need it. That's really, I think, the biggest challenge for us moving forward and continuing to communicate to employees so that we can, you know, all feel positive as we go through this really difficult time. Tracy, thank you so much for spending time with the audience today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. Okay. Linda, why don't I turn it over to you? Thanks, Jean. And I think we're going to start with the poll. And um, so the question we have for everybody um, before we jump into the technology side is really related to how your organization and whether or not they've accelerated their digital transformation efforts in the wake of the pandemic and the rush to remote work. So we're going to give you some time to answer that. Okay. 
Okay, we should be seeing the results come back. If we could pop those up. Yes, so 76% overwhelming majority of you guys have said that you've accelerated and really, really had to look and take a, take a second look. That's very similar to what we've done here at HP. So um, I, I'm privileged to have a role that, get, that allows me to work on both the end user services side, which is providing all of the services that keep our employees up and running, as well as focusing on how that experiences for them as they're going through that, that work experience. And so what we've seen as we've come into this, this COVID pandemic, and um, as Tracy spoke about, we really went from one day being everybody in the office, having you know, some very small limited uh, scenarios in China where we had been dealing with how to, how to have employees working from home, but very limited to a regional issue to overnight going to it being a global pandemic and having to move from, on average, having about 10,000 people that work from home on a regular basis to immediately going to over 60,000 people working from home. So 90% of our workforce moved to being in that, that environment. Uh, this went from a Wednesday where we got an early heads up to a Monday being executed in live. And so for us within the IT organization, obviously, we're not used to having to adapt quite that quickly to things like that. Thankfully, we had, because we are a global company, we had been looking and anticipating that this change was coming. So we had been working since February, uh, assuming that we were going to have to be doing something like this. But you know, predominantly we had been really also focused on our digital transformation. So one of the big things at HP is ensuring that we're, we're moving into the future as we adapt and make that transformation. And so part of what we had been looking at within my organization was how do we really shift and uh, we had started focusing really on our offices. You know, how do we make our offices more collaborative? How do we make them more digital? And then, Originally, our plan was to move that focus on enabling that same experience to be for a mobile and remote workforce. What COVID did for us is turn that on its head and we had to, you know, immediately shift our, our plan and focus on the work from home environment first. So we went from having 90% of people in an office to 90% of people working from home. We went from really having a lot of face-to-face -face meetings to having no travel, no ability to get together face-to-face, -face, even if you were in the same location, to having to do all of our meetings virtually and, and via different types of uh, technologies and collaboration. And really where we were at um, in our digital transformation is we were just starting to talk about things like automation and integration. And that became really important and is still very important as we look at how do we make this work from home challenge even better. So, um, you know, there's good and bad in that um, aspect. For anybody who's gone through a big transformation, um, these things take time. There's a huge MOC that's involved with them. And the, the bad aspect, obviously, was the reason for having this change accelerated. The flip side, the good aspect was the MOC suddenly became very easy. So everybody understood without us having to explain why 
we needed to change some of our tools, why we needed to change how we ran a meeting, why we needed to introduce new technologies into the environment. So for us, you know, that, that actually took off some of the stress that we would have had with this transformation. And when we go back into uh, whatever the new normal ends up becoming and whenever that is, we know that these technologies are already going to be well adapted to the environment. People are going to be able to use them from anywhere. And so that's that's one thing that, you know, is really helpful and helped us accelerate. The other thing is that, you know, we've really had to shift to focus more about employees and the experience that they have using these these processes. And all of a sudden, one of the one of the efforts and one of my main objectives this year has been to really shift from a technology focus to a um, and, and not talk about the tools that we use as much as what are we providing, providing suites of tools to employees. And this also forced that transformation to happen very quickly because now it wasn't a matter of nobody cared what tool was being used, they cared how that tool was helping them to be productive. And they didn't really care as much about what label was on it or if it was something that they've used in the past, they cared about how quickly they could get up and running and how easily that tool was able to or that technology was able to integrate with the other things that they have to use in their day in day out. So, you know, for us, this is really um, I wouldn't just say accelerated the digital transformation. It's also made it a lot easier for us to get this adoption curve and also the, um, you know, overcome some challenges that we probably would have had. Now, that's not to say that it hasn't also at the same time introduced some new challenges. So, you know, the other thing that's going to become very difficult in this scenario is the fact that we can't have our teams collaborating together face to face. So we also have had to look at new tools. So one of the biggest things that we're still working through is, you know, how do you run a workshop that you would have uh, used to do something like journey mapping or that you would be doing to map out a, a walk the walls uh, session so that you're really understanding where that project is at or trying to solve or brainstorm on a problem. You know, that's not easy to do remotely. And it's not easy to have a long session uh, over the phone. So, you know, we've, we've had to adapt and those, those things have really been challenges. So some of the things we've looked at is we are introducing new tools into the, the toolkit and we're starting to look at that as a complete suite of tools. So we've created what we're calling our digital productivity studio that we're starting to look at what really makes an employee productive what makes them more productive when they're in the office that we, we need to figure out a way to replicate in a digital manner. And how do we, how do we introduce some things where it's not so challenging for people? Techno stress has become one of the biggest issues that my employees talk about all the time. And if you haven't heard that term, what techno stress is, is it's basically just being overwhelmed by all different kinds of technology coming at you and just having a, you know, non-stop of all you deal with are different tools and technologies and really losing a little bit of that personal connection. And so, you know, we've gone so far as to introduce things where we're actually encouraging people not to have meetings on Friday and to spend that time maybe making a phone call instead of a video call to uh, take some time to catch up and maybe do some quiet thinking and, you know, do some things that 
you automatically had more chance to do when you were in an office environment, but maybe harder now that we're in a, in a work from home environment and we're constantly having this digital tool scenario thrust at us. So we're really, we're really trying to balance. And I think, you know, the other thing that has happened as we've accelerated this digital transformation is we've gotten a lot more information and feedback coming than we would have if we had tried to do it uh, in the status quo that we were in before. So now, you know, just out of necessity, we've got real-time feedback coming in about what does and doesn't work. People are a lot more open to doing prototypes and to doing a fail fast and very agile environment. So as we look at our mobility strategy, whereas we did accelerate that, we're also going to be a lot more successful is my feeling because we're going to get this real-time feedback and it's going to be coming at us in a much more positive way. I've actually been very um, happy to see the reception of the employee base and the positive feedback that they've given us, even when something hasn't gone well. In the past, if we have introduced something, uh, whether that's something that the uh, employees wanted or, or maybe a change that they didn't want, Anytime it fails, we hear about it. We hear about it loudly, it gets escalated, and we very rarely hear about the successes. You know, it's one of the things you get used to being in an IT organization, as I'm sure many of you on the phone uh, experience as well. If you're doing your job, one of the things about that is you don't hear from people. If you're not doing your job well, you hear about from people all the time. And so, you know, part of our success is based upon things just running and people not realizing that we're out there or that, that the tools that we're providing even exist. And so the other change that's really been helpful is people have been providing a lot of constructive feedback versus just negative feedback. So that's the other thing that we've taken into consideration. And I would encourage if you haven't done that within your organizations to, you know, encourage this fail fast approach to just get something out there to, um, to make small progress. Uh, this is absolutely the time to do it. People are going to be a lot more open to it. They're going to understand that you're trying to help them. And they're really going to be able to give you that feedback that you can then turn and use and to do something with to actually help, you know, accelerate your own transformation inside your organizations. And so if we go to the next slide, you know, one of the first things that we looked at that is also going to be a core part of this transformation was how do we provide IT support? So now all of a sudden, um, you know, we've got everybody working from home. Uh, in our environment, previously, we had what we call tech walk-up centers, which were uh, not at every site, but they were at all of our large sites. They were um, where we had IT tech technicians that sat down there where people could just walk up, you could make an appointment, or you could just walk up and hand them your laptop. Uh, tell them what's going on. They would quickly solve your problems. People love the service. They love the interaction. They love having the same person because you get to know the, the service desk agents that are working there by name, by face, it's, you know, very personal connection. Um, all of a sudden we can't have that walk-up uh, scenario because we, the offices are closed. Um, so, you know, we had to figure out a way to continue to provide that type of support. Given that we didn't have those in all locations, you know, we felt pretty comfortable that we had the right tools and technologies in place to provide that support. But now we have another issue, which is we were able to do about 7,000 
appointments a day in our tech walk-up centers. And all of a sudden, we have all of these agents that are supporting our IT, um, our employees that don't have work to do because they're used to getting those, those um, tickets by somebody walking up. Those appointments are coming in face-to-face -face only. So we got the team together and we said, you know what, we need to, you know, this is the, the perfect scenario where we have a problem that needs to be solved and we've got people that, that have the bandwidth to be able to go work on this problem and, we want, and they want to work. So the last thing anybody wants to be in this environment is sitting on the bench and not productive. So in a one day turnaround time, the team was able to come up and create what, we're, what we've now dubbed as Cloud Cafe. And what Cloud Cafe was is, this is a scenario where we said, we've got all of these highly skilled agents. We can, we can have them provide almost everything that they were providing in the walk-up center virtually. The only thing that they can't technically do is they cannot do any hardware support, but they can do every, so every bit of software support that they were doing, which was a lot of what they were getting in those centers virtually over the phone. We can still have that personal experience and you know, we can use the technology and the tools that we have by creating those appointments just like you would have at your local walk-up center um, and just turn those into a virtual cloud uh, cafe experience instead. The benefit of this is now all of a sudden, instead of having those uh, tech cafe centers be the only place where you can get that level of support, it's now available to 100% of our employees. So it doesn't matter where you're sitting, you can get cloud cafe service. Doesn't matter if you're a work from home and teleworker 100% of the time, you can get that same level of IT support that you would have gotten at a tech walk-up center. So this, this was a great success. Um, it's the first and um, only IT service that we have. where We have gotten 100% on our CSAT scores from day one. So, um, you know, 24 hour turnaround from uh, a concept to going live, 100% uh, positive feedback. You know, I don't think you could have a much better success. We're definitely still working out the kinks. So there's not that things haven't, you know, happened in the background or things that we don't think that we could do better. But again, employees are really, really receptive to this and understood that this is, you know, this is how we're going to help them. This is also now going to enable our mobility program because once people are back in the office, we've already decided, you know, that we, we want to make sure that we don't lose this cloud cafe support for the people that don't work in an office that has this feature. So we're going to make this our permanent model. We're going to uh, expand on it. And in today's world, even, even better. So it just keeps on getting better in this particular scenario. This happens to be a case of HP on HP, where the service provider that is doing the support for the organization happens to be our HP DAS team. And so, you know, I always love to talk about how we are drinking our own champagne in this scenario. It's been fantastic. So um, it is a great scenario for us because we are their toughest customer, but we're also their the customer that wants them to succeed the most because, you know, this is, this is our co colleagues and coworkers. So we do give them tough love. We give them, you know, a lot of feedback, but they're also very willing to work with us. And then what in turn that does is it makes it a better product for the customers that they serve as well. 
So this is how we, you know, initially handled support. And again, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of learnings, but you know, this, this has been a great success. If you go on to the, the next slide, the other thing that we really had to look at, and this, I'm, again, another thing that I know everybody on, on uh, this call is familiar with was, okay, how do we retool our systems? You know, what do we need to do immediately and long-term to make sure that our technology is able to support a mobile workforce? So we did, we were fortunate in that we had technology in place and we did have the ability for people to uh, work remotely. So we were not starting from um, ground zero. You know, we already had a functioning infrastructure in place. Um, what we had to do overnight was, was double that capacity. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we went to having 10% of our workforce working from home to 90% of our workforce working from home within three business days. So we looked at our, we looked at our capacity for our remote access tools. We said, you know what, we were planning on getting off of these tools. It was ironic timing, but we were in the, the process of doing a migration. Uh, put that on hold. Let's double the legacy tools because this is what we have to do immediately. Let's get our workforce up and running overnight. And then let's, let's go ahead and accelerate our deployment of our new remote access tool, which is a tool named Global Protect that has better security and really will allow us to have even more people on our, our infrastructure and let's get that up and running. And the team, uh, blood, sweat, and tears, you know, here. So there was definitely some heroics that went on to make this happen, but they were able to do this overnight. And so we got the notification, um, as I mentioned earlier, we got an early notification on Wednesday. The official notification went out to all of the HP employee base on Thursday. And by uh, Friday, people were starting to read it. So Friday wasn't really, you know, a full work from home day. Uh, but we, we consider ourselves ready on Friday. By Monday, which was the first day that we really had everybody and had full volume, um, we did have some issues. Uh, they were resolved within three hours. And so by, um, you know, Monday, 10 a.m. Pacific time, we were up and running. We had resolved the issues. And, you know, knock on wood, so far it's been very successful. Um, it also allowed us to do some real-time testing of our tool that we were in the process of of testing uh, in a POC. So we got to, um, again, take a risk and say, why don't you try this tool? Let us know what you think. We think it's going to be better. And it accelerated that transition as well. So, you know, a great effort by the team to make that happen. The other thing that we did is we looked and we said, you know, we're going to be doing all of our meetings from home. We want to make sure we have a very good video collaboration tool. We'd already deployed Zoom within uh, our environment. So that's, that wasn't a new tool for us, but we did significantly increase our meeting capacity. Uh, that was also an overnight uh, item. And Tracy spoke a little bit about that, where we went from having, you know, about 3,000 meetings to 35,000 meetings overnight. Um, the big thing that probably everybody saw in the news was all of a sudden, because Zoom also became popular everywhere, is that um, some security flaws were immediately identified. Um, thankfully, we have a very good working relationship with partner with their CTO. Um, we, our CISO sits on their uh, security council. And so we were able to work with them, put, put enhanced security measures 
in within, again, within a couple of days of understanding what was going on and how we could quickly adapt. And then also make sure that, that our partner was working on getting those enhancements built into their system so that we didn't have to change tools. Because there was definitely a point in time where we were concerned that we were gonna have to, in the middle of all of this, rip out our main collaboration and meeting platform and replace it with something else. And as you can see, given that we're working on Zoom today, we did not have to do that. And we feel very confident in the security and the encryption and changes that Zoom has done to make sure that we can continue using this platform. We don't have to make that, that type of transition in the middle of, of this crisis. And then finally, you know, we really did also look at globally what do we need to do uniquely in every region? And I think this was really important for us and our success. Um, people tend to gravitate to doing solutions for the region that you sit in. And so, you know, for us, we have a, a majority of our infrastructure team is based in the US because that's where most of our data centers sit. Um, so the challenges you know that we face in other areas specifically like india or some of the remote areas in africa are very unique because those areas do not have the type of internet service in all locations like we are you know lucky to have here in the us so quickly we had to adapt and say you know what this works great if you're in uh, western europe if you're in the us if you're in a you know any location where you get consistent uh, high reliability internet in India, where that wasn't necessarily the case. You know, we said, okay, we've got to we've got to do some some things that are unique that we normally would say no to. So normally, go, getting a mobile hotspot would take several layers of uh, approvals. It would take you know a lot of um, time to get that approved. Uh, often it would be rejected because the business justification would be that it wasn't there. Um, we were able to to say you know what in this particular scenario that's what we need to do to get people up and running so we provided mobile hotspots for folks that were in those remote locations as an exception basis worked again you know the close partnership that we have with with our vendors that provide the mo mobile service and cellular service in those areas which is really critical because even doing that we still you know have several challenges that we had to work through but you know that was another important part. And then ultimately, um, the other big challenge that we've had to be very creative and make sure that we're very flexible with is, is learning how to adapt our cyber principles and make sure that those are really focused on the work at home environment. Because what happens is you can be 100% in control of your office environment, infrastructure, and the security there. We have no control over somebody's home Wi-Fi and home Wi-Fi's tend to be a lot less secure. Um, people don't necessarily know what they need to do with their home network to make it safe. And so we, we've you know, shifted to focus on not only what do we do to continue to protect the infrastructure that we have in our HP network, but how do we provide that, those tips and tricks and, and you know, guidance for all of our employee base to make sure that their home Wi-Fi is also secure. So, you know, those are just a few of the things that we did. Um, the great news is, you know, we've done, um, you know, several surveys. We've gotten, we've gotten really positive feedback that the teams feel like we're doing the right thing for our employees. I'm sure we'll continue to learn. Uh, we are going to continue to adapt and as we try to move 
you know, even faster to a more digital and more automated landscape as we, you know, push our transformation forward. But, uh, you know, overall, I think this has been a, a great effort of teamwork and collaboration with, you know, not only our um, IT colleagues, but also with our BU partners. Um, you know, all aspects of HP of making sure we had the right equipment and making sure that we had the right DAS support and all of that. So, as well. Linda, thank you for spending some time with us and Tracy as well. I want to end by thanking everyone for joining us today. And please don't hesitate to reach out to your HP account executive to let us know how we can help you and your organization navigate the new normal, whether it be with a discussion like this, talking about some best practices or some challenges that we run into, or helping you with your technology needs to move to the new normal, please don't hesitate to ask. That concludes the podcast titled how HP is adapting to the new normal. Brought to you by Stanley Systems. Stanway Systems would like to welcome you to a podcast. Welcome to the HP webinar, Hack the House, providing expert advice on how to navigate security issues while working remotely. During this webinar, you will learn how criminals are exploiting the current environment, where you might be vulnerable, and best practices to protect yourself. And now it's my great pleasure to introduce our discussion leader, Michael Howard, HP's head of worldwide security and analytics practice. Michael, the time is now yours. Thank you, Karen, and thank you everybody that's joining today. I really appreciate uh, your taking the time. And today we're gonna give you some expert advice on how to navigate security issues while working remotely. Learn how criminals are exploiting the current environment, where you might be vulnerable, and what are the best practices you can implement in your daily life to protect yourself from this online threat. Before the pandemic forced many of us workers into remote scenarios, cybersecurity risks were already intensifying at a phenomenal rate. With this increase, organizations are facing increased challenges in keeping data, documents, and devices secure as workers transition into this home environment. Now, as we're seeing businesses starting to make plans to return to the office and possibly have that blended work from home, work from the office reality, many are looking to make even a larger percentage of their overall workforce remote, which is going to increase the threat landscape and challenges for IT departments worldwide. So looking at today's current threat landscape, we see that there's been a 600% increase in the cyber threat going on uh, around this pandemic. And whenever you line that up with the John Hopkins COVID map on the right, and you look at the threat map on the bottom, you'll notice that they're lining up very closely to each other and where we're seeing the rise in attacks and what they're taking advantage of and where we're seeing the threats coming into our environments. So we're now seeing that uh, some of the increases are at a rise to where we're seeing an 85% increase in phishing attacks, and they're really targeting remote enterprise users today, 
We're seeing a 25% increase in malicious malware and files being blocked. And again, they're targeting those enterprise users now, not the home users, and a 17% increase in, in targeted threat attacks just towards enterprise class. So to combat this bad behavior, we're recommending that everybody implement a zero trust in your daily online lives. You need to be very, very careful with everything that's being sent to you. And rather than clicking on links and clicking on things as you're moving forward, you need to make sure that you're going back out to those websites and you're verifying. Again, that's the whole idea with implementing that zero trust and trusting nothing that's coming in. We know that remote workers tend to lower their security caution a bit. And with this heightened uh, attack vector that's going on, we need to be raising what we're doing around cyber attacks. So what's changed whenever it comes for IT? So we know that a large number of corporate endpoints are outside of that sphere of control that we used to have. So the corporate edge to the network used to be the edge of those doors that you were walking out in your enterprise and you had your firewalls that were protecting you. Now we have extended that corporate edge of our networks to each and every employee's home office. And that means that we have to be very, very cautious and very careful in what we're doing as those remote workers. So we're beyond the corporate perimeter. You've got to remember that we don't have everything that's monitoring us at the level that you needed to whenever you're working from home that you would have whenever you're in a corporate office. It's harder to update OSs and applications whenever you're not working uh, in the office. So we have to think of things both from the IT perspective and the user's perspective of how do we do that to make sure that we're keeping these devices current and all the current security patches up to date. Data leakage to personal devices, again, using our business devices at home and letting those intermingle with your personal systems uh, is always a dangerous way of making, of, of you leaking personal information. So we want to make sure that you're using best practices and only using business devices at home and where you can using enterprise class devices to keep yourself safe. And we're also looking at remote working infrastructure was not designed for scale. We all saw that there was a trend to more working from home uh, that was happening before the pandemic, but this has accelerated a lot of that. So the VPN capacity load has increased at a phenomenal pace. And giving you an example of what we do at, at our corporation is we have multiple VPNs now because we have to make sure our users can get in through a VPN and they have a good experience at work so that they use them and they keep things safe. Endpoint security, the visibility around it becomes very challenging, where when I'm in an environment, I can look and tell every endpoint that's connected to the corporate networks, we're now outside of that control, and we don't have clear capabilities of tracking everything that's going on. So we have to have that heightened awareness and start implementing remote tools where we can to help protect that. And then, of course, user behavior. We have to look at how do we educate users on a daily basis and make sure that they're aware of the cybersecurity risks that are out there and making sure things like connecting to Wi-Fis as they start returning to coffee shops, that they're thinking about that and they have their business devices and they know that there's a heightened security uh, campaign going on against them right now. Make sure that they're just cautious. And then productivity of solutions, uh, you know, they're really, when we think about it, we weren't really set up to optimize productivity of solutions from a on a large scale from work from home. 
So things like remote management has been severely limited for corporations to be able to watch what's going on. Remote recovery and restoration, IT departments had to move quickly to figure out what happens whenever you have an employee's laptop crash and they can't come into an office now to have it fixed. So what type of policies do we need to have in place upfront to be prepared for that? And then, of course, we have to have the proper IT staffing. We need to give them the tools that they need, and we need to realize that they're the heroes, and we have to help them while they help us stay secure. And it's everybody's responsibility when it comes to security, so we must make sure we're implementing that. So as the new edge has moved out, it really becomes increasingly important that we practice good cyber hygiene, just like we're practicing hygiene around the virus. Make sure we have all the unused protocols turned off and we're locking these devices down correctly. So when I look at this slide, uh, this is really showing the state of homes across the world today, right? Everything is the Internet of Things, and we call it the Internet of Ransomware Things. So when you look at it, everything is connected today. I was reading the other day where an iron is now going to be connected, and I'm not sure why you would do that, but you have to take considerations that all of these devices out there can cause you a lot of problems if they're not secure. And then you bring home the fact that you're introducing a business device to this network. It makes it very porous and easy for attack. So when we look at what we're doing with the Internet of vulnerabilities, we have to make sure that we're protecting those home offices. So one of the best practices that we recommend is you look at everything that's on your home network and all the IoT devices, try and move those off to a guest network and isolate your business network for just what you're doing. Because you don't want to have all of these entry points coming in that can attack your business devices, whether it's a printer or whether it's a PC, and you have to look at how you're going to survive through this hyper-connected world and make sure that you're not introducing these vulnerabilities. So looking at some of the ways that we're seeing exploits happen today, um, Shodan is a very popular tool that people will use out there. It's very easy to go out and ping systems, find out what ports and protocols are open, find ways into your system. So whether you're coming in through a printer, whether they're coming in through they found an opening in one of your PCs or maybe your home devices or a network, they're going to use these tools to exploit it and then laterally move around through your network. So some of the, the ones out there for exploiting printers are called the PRET tool. Um, there's also the Mariah tool, which is for IoT devices, and it's used as botnet targets to try and really in, in, infiltrate your, your environment. So you need to be aware of these. InMap is a way to scan all your home IoT devices and find open ports, and it's a good thing that you do that first and identify. And if you don't know how to do that, reach out to your security teams, and if you have uh, areas where you think there might be some risk and some damage, make sure that you're watching that closely and you're talking to your IT security teams so you can close those vulnerabilities. So let's look at the set. We have a seven-point program that I'm just briefly going to cover to show you things that you need to consider as IT decision makers, uh, security operations, IT admins, but also critically important is end users. Because now that we're all disparate and we've moved out into the home offices, it really puts the onus on a lot of the end users to protect our devices. So protecting your endpoints, making sure that everything is safe and secure, advocating for digital 
uh, enabling digital hygiene, making sure that you're sending documents back and forth to your company in a secure way. You're doing it through VPNs, securing that sensitive data at a level, whether you're backing up your systems at home, backing up your systems over the network to your, to your uh, offices. You need to make sure that you're using encryption and that you have safe network access to do that. Take special care of credentials, especially when you're looking at all the IoT devices that are sitting in your home. Make sure that you're not using default passwords that came with those devices. Um, we saw one the other day when I was helping a neighbor where their password was change me. Uh, it's clear that you need to change those passwords and you need to harden them and make them as strong as you possibly can. And then going into management of conferencing and security and privacy. Right? So we need to make sure that as you're doing conference calls, like the ones that you're logged into today, that they're done in a safe and secure way. So all of the various ones out there, whether it's Zoom, Skype, WebEx, they all have ways that you can lock them down, and you need to take advantage of those best practices and make sure that you're locking them down in the most effective way. And then whenever you get to, to uh, productivity, again, it's the end user's responsibility to let IT know whenever they can't do things, but it's IT's responsibility to make sure that we're enabling the highest level of productivity that we can as we're going through this pandemic to help our users stay productive. So some of the things you can do, again, moving your IoT devices to a guest network. Talk to your ISP providers, most of them have a way that you can set up a guest network and you can offload IoT devices onto that guest network and then isolate your business network at home while you're going through this pandemic and minimize the threat vector so nobody can come in and, and uh, take it over. Corporate devices versus home devices, right? You're now moving these corporate devices and you don't want to move them to your home devices and start logging back into your, your network uh, with devices that may not have the same robust security. So leverage corporate devices where you can, make sure that you have enterprise class level devices, and then also patch, patch, patch. I can't emphasize that enough. If your corporation is pushing out that you need a patch, there's reasons for that. So try not to delay them. As soon as you can implement them, implement them, because normally there's security or improvements for your speed that are included in those patches and you want to get them put on quickly. VPNs, leveraging those as much as you can and making sure that everything you're doing in your personal life and what you're doing uh, online for your business life, you're using VPNs so people can't be getting the data and do man-in-the-middle attacks. Backing up data becomes important, right? You don't have necessarily have the corporation that you can back up to in every instance, so make sure that you're backing up data and then help your IT departments out. When you're backing up that data, validate that data and make sure that it is secure. Admin passwords, uh, you should have those everywhere. Always make sure you lock IoT devices and your business devices down with admin passwords so no changes can be made without entering that password. And that helps add another layer of security to make sure that somebody doesn't get in and they can uh, affect those changes without you knowing about them. Disable what you don't need. If you don't need certain protocols open like FTP, Telnet, other things that may be open on home devices that haven't been secured by a corporation, lock those down. Turn off those protocols. Don't make it easy for a hacker to navigate through your network and move around. 
And then, of course, using multi-factor authentication is critically important. And most of the IoT devices in your home, you can have multi-factor authentication. Obviously, on your business devices, you can do that. And it becomes critically important for that extra step to make sure that you can't be breached and that you're giving that extra level of defense and depth as you move forward. And then there's also password managers. <clears throat> critically important because all of us are maintaining so many passwords today that it becomes difficult to remember them. And the hacker's dream is you changing your password once a week because you can't remember it. Because we're creatures of habit, we tend to have repetitive passwords, um, something inside the password that we're repeating constantly. And that's all it takes for a hacker to figure out what you're using as a password. So password managers allow you to put a big passphrase in there uh, to maintain those passwords and not be changing on a regular basis. So you want to make sure you do that. So some of the ones that uh, we don't recommend any password managers, there's a lot out there. Some of them are the cloud. Some of them aren't for the cloud. Some are for free and some charge money for you. Um, you have to decide which is the right one for what you're doing within your environment. But I highly recommend that you use a password manager. And don't be a sheep, right? Don't fall for this. We've seen how bad this is lining up. We've seen that we have that increase of over 600%. So really watch what's coming in. And if you see a message come up on your screen and it's got an offer that seems too good to be true, it is too good to be true. Look for misspelling errors. Look for grammatical errors. Believe it or not, still in most phishing attempts that we see that are successful, when we go back and we review the email that, and the link that they clicked on, there's always spelling errors. There's always grammatical errors. But make sure that you're hovering over that link and you're making sure that you are, in fact, going to the right place. Um, because we have to make sure that we're not falling for the tips and the tricks that the hackers are trying to use against us, which is, you know, really weighing on the fact that we're all sitting at home and we may be a little bored and that link is just too good not to click on. So be careful around that and don't be a sheep. Some of the other conference call security tips that we can give you is, you know, no URL on social media, so just block that. Make sure that they're coming in directly into your calls. Use a unique meeting ID uh, every single time. Make sure that your calls are password protected. And as people are coming in, verify attendees. Know who's on those calls and know which ones that you should be keeping out. Once you have everybody in your calls, it's a good idea to lock those calls so nobody else can join. We've seen a lot of that going on through this pandemic. And if you lock it, nobody's going to be able to get in. And then where you need to encrypt if possible. So if you're recording these or you're talking about very sensitive data, you might want to make sure that you're setting up with conference call security that includes encryption so that you can make sure that your, your call is safe and your company's proprietary information is protected. And then it's advisable to use uh, HP cartridges whenever you're looking at print security, for an example. So we wanted to bring this up because we've seen a lot of fraudulent cartridges being sent out there. And since they all include a chip on there, you can introduce uh, vulnerabilities into your print environment very quickly through that. So it's very important that we think about supply chain security and what we need to do with that. HP is very focused on that, and we have a very secure and stable supply chain for all of the devices, as well as all the supplies around that that we're doing. 
We have a cartridge chip on security that is validated by HP, and we can help you protect those devices and protect uh, malicious malware from getting on the systems by making sure that you're using these. Making sure that the cartridge is packaging is secure so that whenever you receive it at home, you know that it came from HP. It's tamper resistant and it's got the label on the box. And then the printer hardware security. We've built in stringent security into our printers. We're looking and detecting for anomalous behavior and we're helping you protect that as, as much as we can as we move forward to. And then making your, your home uh, a, a good cyber safe stronghold. So again, as we're saying, whenever you're looking at home for your home systems that you have, as well as your business systems that you're introducing, choose strong and different passwords for your email and your social media accounts. And again, if you're using pa uh, social or a password management tool, you can put in passphrases that are very difficult to break, and that'll help protect you. Back up your data and run regular software updates. I check my IoT devices on my home on a regular basis and look to see if they need updates to their, their firmware and make sure you're implementing that as well. Review your apps and your permissions and delete, delete those that you're not using. A lot of people have hundreds of apps out there. They haven't looked at them. They haven't updated them in a long time. You need to make sure that you're keeping those current. Review the privacy settings of your social media accounts. Lock those accounts down as tightly as you can if you have to use social media at all. Um, but if you're going to use social media through these times and sharing a lot of information with your family, lock them down and make sure that that information is just going to your family. Secure electronic devices with passwords, pins, or biometric information. All of HP devices that are enterprise class have the biometrics way, so you can really get up to two to even three-factor authentication and make sure you're keeping everything secure. And Wi-Fi routers, always change the default passwords. This is probably the easiest one that I can drive around through neighborhoods and find ways to get onto routers if I want to because people use the default ones. So lock those down. Don't let people surf your networks and find out what's on your, your devices. And then install antivirus software on all devices connected to the Internet. Where a lot of studies are out there that antivirus is not as effective as it used to be, that's just not true. Antivirus still will protect you from a lot of what's going on in the environment. And then online shopping tips, just to give you. Buy from a reliable online vendors and check individual ratings. Make sure whenever you're buying that you may, not, you may think that you're buying locally, but you end up buying from overseas. So validate that the people that are getting your credit card information and that sensitive information are people that are reliable and you can trust. Think twice if an offer sounds too good to be true, because it most likely is, right? So think about that. You use credit cards when online shopping for stronger customer protection. It's better than using a debit card because you're protected by the banks and you can dispute charges whenever they're put on. We have seen just a massive amount of credit card fraud that has been going on through this pandemic. Uh, so you need to make sure that that's staying as safe as you possibly can. And then check your bank account often for suspicious activities. Uh, I had a member of my team that noticed uh, just a couple days ago that somebody had been doing some suspicious activity and they locked those accounts down so that nothing could happen. So you want to make sure that you're keeping that as safe as possible. And then be safe with children. This is critical as well. 
you've got a lot of kids out there. They're doing education online now, which means we probably have to open up some of our ports and protocols and make our network less safe. But we need to make sure out there that you're checking security and privacy settings for all smart toys that you may be introducing. Um, that you're changing the default factory passwords to keep the software up to date on listening devices on your children, on devices that they may be using uh, for games while they're going through this pandemic. Use parental controls and safeguards. I can't stress this enough. You need to watch what's going on. You need to see who's talking to your children. And we know that that's a heightened area of this vulnerabilities now. So be careful, use parental controls, keep control of what your children are seeing. Talk to your children about cyber safety. I was on a call earlier today where a gentleman was telling me that he got a phishing email, and the first thing he did is he took it to his family and he educated his kids on what alerted him to that to teach them to be alerted to it as well. So talk to your children about cyber safety, listen to their online experiences, and explain to them the importance of being, uh, being safe online as being safe offline. Right? So we don't let our kids walk down the streets by themselves today. You're, they're connecting to the world through the Internet. So be careful and be cautious of that. And then remember, follow trusted source and up-to-date factual information. If you become a victim of cybercrime, always report it to your national police wherever you are. The FBI in the United States, Interpol in, in Europe, do a very good job of investigating cybercrime, especially against children. So you need to uh, let them know what's going on if you have something happen. And then stay alert, right? Don't reply to suspicious mails or calls. Make sure that you're, you're looking at that. If they come in and they want you to call them back, change a password, don't do it. Again, Go to the websites that you know are safe and secure for your credit cards, for your banking information, and make sure that you're being the one that's reaching out and they're not reaching out to you. Don't share your bank or credit card details or personal financial information with anybody. If somebody's asking you for it, just don't do it. Your bank would never make you share that information over the phone or in email. Don't share news that doesn't come from official sources. Don't pass on rumors that are going on. Don't make donations to charities without double-checking their authenticity. We've seen a large rise uh, of donations that are being made to fake websites. Just with the COVID alone, we've seen well over 1,000 fake websites that are set up trying to get you to donate money to hackers' organizations, which is really what you'll be doing. Don't open links and attachments to unsolicited email and text messages. I know you're curious. I know you're sitting at home, and it may seem like the right thing to do today. Just keep yourself from doing it and make sure that you're staying safe. And then don't buy things online that seem to be sold out everywhere else. It's just, if that's showing you that it's sold out, then you're probably um, working with an organization that is either committing fraud or they're committing fraud against you and you'll never see that item show up and the money has been deleted from your bank account. And don't send money up front to someone you don't know. That's another big attack vector that we're seeing now, and they're specially attacking the elderly, saying that if you send us $100, then we'll fix your computer or send us $1,000 and we'll, we'll do something for you that'll help with COVID. We're just seeing tons of those come up and the elderly tend to be falling for that. So remember... And, you know, everybody is part of this crucial system, 
everybody's responsibility, whether you're a user, whether you're in IT, whether you're in cybersecurity, security is your responsibility. So don't be that human error, which is what causes well over 90% of all security breaches. Don't be that human error. Think before you click. Be ultra paranoid during this time, which is the right way to be. And then if you need help, reach out to your cybersecurity teams or reach out to HP cybersecurity teams and we'll help you where we can. And hopefully this information has been valuable to you and you'll find some uh, information you can take back to your organizations. Michael, thank you so much for the great content and insights you shared. Thank you and have a wonderful day. That concludes the podcast titled, Hack the House, IT Security in a Changing World. Brought to you by Stanley Systems. Stanway Systems would like to welcome you to a podcast titled HP Series, Help to Secure Your Work from Home Network. I will now turn it over to our moderator. Thank you for joining the HP Business Continuity Series, Practical Considerations for Securing Your Work from Home Network. It is my pleasure to introduce Michael Howard, Head of HP's Worldwide Security and Analytics Practice. Michael, the time is now yours. Great. Thank you very much, Karen. And welcome, everybody, to the webinar today. What we would like to do is just share some best practices around what we're seeing with the new work from home and the remote working that everybody is having to do today. So to start with, we are seeing very clearly that hackers are taking advantage of the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're seeing that they're very motivated by financial gains and disrupting daily life. In order to combat this behavior, we must implement a zero trust in our daily online lives to maintain our personal security. So we know that working from home can be very uh, challenging at times, and we also know that a lot of people let their guard down whenever they're working from home when it comes to cybersecurity. At this time, we need to make sure that we change that and we're implementing all the security best practices through the policies that our corporations have. So looking at what we can do to help is number one, everybody is responsible for security at every company. So we need you to be a security warrior and think first about what are you doing online and how critical that could be. And are you opening up your company for uh, damaging breaches? So don't fall for clickbait. We're seeing tons of this today. In fact, the latest reports are that we're seeing um, phishing attempts up by 85% from what they were just a couple months ago. So they're reaching out there and they're trying to get you to fall for that link. And we know that we're all home today, so we need to do everything we can to not take that bait and, and get those phishing attempts. The other thing that we're seeing in, in the world today is everybody is being connected more tightly with social media. And we know that there's bad actors that are also on it. So again, you really have to be careful whenever you're online. Make sure you're careful with what you're sharing. And especially if you're on a business uh, computer today or you're working with your enterprise, make sure that you're logged in the correct ways and that you aren't using social media at those times. Then also you need to know what you have. There's many IoT or smart devices on the market today. So whether you're using Alexa at home or you have a Nest Digital thermostat, 
any of those, you may want to take inventory of those and understand what's on your home network. Many home networks allow you to segment that, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but you really want to know that inventory and, and realize what the risks are and what your threat landscape looks like. The other thing that you need to make sure we're doing a lot now is changing default passwords. Make sure that all those devices sitting on your home network don't have default passwords, which are very easy to get over the web and then get into your network. So use a strong, unique passphrase or implement a password management tool as you move forward. At a minimum, you wanna use two-factor authentication and you also wanna make sure that all the devices have their current firmware patching and you're staying up to date on that because that's where we see security breaches or vulnerabilities being exploited and firmware will fix those. Also, it's good to look at disabling any unnecessary ports and protocols that you might have running in your home office to make sure that you're locking everything down as tight as you possibly can. Moving on to how you secure sensitive data, making sure that you're utilizing uh, solutions like HP Universal Print Driver. This will encrypt anything that you're printing and it minimizes your risk of somebody from the outside seeing the sensitive data that may be flowing across your network. If the printer is shared, it's still very good best practices to use a pen or a password to make sure that you're releasing the job when and where and at the correct printer that you want to. We have seen incidents that have happened already where people have printed things and they've actually sent it to a neighbor's printer or they've sent it to other printers within their house and it's very sensitive information. So know what your printers are, know what's being shared in your home and make sure that you're protecting against that. Also, just best practices of locking your PC. If you're leaving your computer for any period of time, even at home, you need to lock your PC. We've seen other incidences where children have gotten on and done things that's very embarrassing for clients. So you wanna make sure that you're implementing the same best practices as if you were leaving your desk in an infrastructure um, where you're normally at work as you are doing at home. And then where you can use virtual private networks, and especially if you're sharing sensitive information, communicating back to your corporation, make sure you have the VPN enabled and you're encrypting all of that traffic. And then of course that applies when you're doing backups to make sure your backups are encrypted. And if you don't have that ability at your company to encrypt your backups, then encrypt it to a USB drive and make sure that you can disconnect that and it's safely and securely stored in your home office. Now, separating your home office IoT device from your IoT devices becomes critically important. So many ISP providers today offer the ability to deploy multiple networks. It's really good for you to look at possibly moving your IoT off to guest networks and keeping all of your business um, devices that you have on a separate network where you can control them and you can put in the correct security controls that your policies from your corporation require. So use that separate network to contain your work devices, like your printer, your work phone, whatever you're doing. And then hardware protection, ensure compliance with corporate policies while protecting sensitive data. Be aware of what your corporate policies are, understand what the data is that you're trying to move around and make sure that you're putting proper protections in around that. And for mobile storage, such as USB drives and HDDs, use encryption to protect that data as well. Don't let those fall into the wrong hands and, and expose your company to any, any risks. 
we're doing a lot of virtual meetings at this point. So as we're doing these virtual meetings, we've already seen in the news that a lot of them had vulnerabilities or they had areas where you could get in and, and do what's called Zoom bombing as an example. It's really easy if you're using good basic cyber hygiene practices to make sure that you're preventing eavesdropping and you're protecting the meetings. So things like making sure that you always have passwords assigned to your, uh, to your virtual meetings, making sure that you're not using the same password over and over and you change them every time, having waiting rooms for people to come into your meetings to make sure that you can make sure the right person is coming in. And then when those meetings are full and you know you have the full audience, lock those medium meetings if you can so that you can not let anybody else in or if you can't lock the meetings make sure that you're monitoring it throughout to keep that in a, a, a safe secure way and these are just some quick quick high level tips that we wanted to give you today practical considerations of what you need to do to help you work in a more secure way while you're working from home that concludes the podcast titled HP Series, Help to Secure Your Work from Home Network, brought to you by Stanley Systems.